to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I am Joe Delina. And as always, I'm joined by my buddy Scott Chu. Scott's got the house to himself for, for a little while today. How are you doing there, Scott? The quiet is eerie, Joe. <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing crying. There's it's nothing barking, meowing, nothing. Right? It's uh, just it's just me. It's it's eerie. It's eerie, but but good. <laughs> it's it's good. It, it's nice to get it's nice to get a little break every once in a while. And uh, I use that break to look at and talk about baseball. So this is right on brand. There you go. There you go. You say it's quiet, but I'm hearing these mournful cries, Scott. You you don't hear them? Yeah, you know the, the mournful cries of 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 guys and gals who've been drafting early and and taking Ronald Acuna with the number one pick overall. And all of a sudden, he's got some knee issue that uh, he's having an MRI done. Uh, you don't hear that? You don't hear those cries? You know, I do. And, <laughs> and so, you know, we found out that Ronald Acuna Jr. has irritation on yes. his right meniscus, mm -hmm. um, similar to the irritation I think many are feeling. I actually just had my my boss is a is a fantasy baseball guy. He, he's a big Pirates fan as well. Ah. Uh, and, you know, he's got the first pick in his draft. And mm -hmm. he was like, what do I do? And here's the thing about those mournful cries. I don't think they would have changed. I don't think this news would have changed anything. It has not changed anything for me. Mm. Acuna is still my number one player because 140 games of Ronald Acuna, especially based on what we saw last season, is still, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else. Right? Like we look, we can't call Ronald Acuna Jr. a durable guy, right? He has exactly two full seasons mm -hmm. uh, to his career, right? Even in the 60 game season, he only played 46, right? But we know is that, you know, when he plays a full season, the two full seasons he has, right? 41 home runs, over 127 runs, over 125 runs each time, over 100 RBI each time, mm -hmm. you know, ton, you know, stolen bases up the wazoo. If I told you that Ronald Acuna, if, if you had known a month ago, two months ago, four months ago, if you put in your projections to say, but Ronald Acuna Jr. only plays 140 games, right? He's still the best player by like 10 bucks. I'd still take him. Sure. But I mean, right it, it now just, it I, stinks, I gotta, but it doesn't change anything that we would have done all the way up to today. But we're not hundred percent sure that he's going to play these 140 games. Right. I mean, I know that I, th I still think he's there. I mean, I, I still I, think he's number one. I don't know how long know you have to say it's just irritation. Number one. They're just saying irritation, but you, you know, things could change, you know, have they really gotten the results from the MRI? I know he had it. But I, I believe that is what I mean, that the, the news updates I have seen. Right. Suggest that. And so I should like, say, again, let me, and let me cut you off. for I'm sorry, but I just want to let people no. know, because we're recording this on March 3rd at 1210 p.m. Eastern time. So it, it's tough to, to have even this conversation, because by the time you're listening to this, there might be some more definitive news. So we're kind of speculating here on based on the news as of now. But I'm sorry, Scott. Go ahead. No, no, it's so if you use an auction calculator, mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter which one you use. Ronald Acuna Jr. is the best player by twenty five dollars. Yeah, no doubt. Right. No doubt. Um, it, it's it's sort of breaking our our understanding of auction calculators. If you look at last season, use an auction calculator, run the run the amounts. Sure enough, he was the best player by twenty six dollars. Right. Um, basically, even if you take Ronald Acuna Jr. Ronald Acuna Jr. down and take away a hundred plate appearances. Mm -hmm. He's still the best player last season. Mm -hmm. 
he'd still be the best player this coming season by right. projections, right? right? Like, that's the thing, you know? Even if we say, okay, he misses the whole first month, I'd still bet on Acuna being the number one fantasy player. But, what but I, I still to, would. But unfortunately, he's just I, that much. He's that much more explosive yeah. than everyone else. What if he misses the first three months? Which is, you know, you so know, then, we don't know. We don't know, right? Yeah. And even then, second round, he's around. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it, especially in a shallower league, right? Where I can sort of make it float. Like right. this, Ronald Acuna Jr. is that level of talent, mm-hmm. right? He's that level of when he plays, he's the best player in baseball. Right. Right. In no terms doubt. of like no doubt. fantasy, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like you, we could get into an argument about whether Shohei Otani is like, is better when he's pitching and hitting. Right. Um, but when it comes to just hitting, nobody does what Ronald Acuna Jr. does mm-hmm. the way he does it. Right. Like he could absolutely, if it wasn't for his teammate, Matt Olson, right. Like I, I think Ronald Acuna Jr. would be the favorite to be like, the home run champion and the stolen base champion of the national league. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that, that's just the type of player he is. So that means again, you take away a hundred play appearances. Sure. Fine. Take him. He's still my number one pick. He, he doesn't come in at 80 bucks or whatever. Right. I think it really, the impact we see with this injury with Ronald Acuna jr. Is not in the snake draft. The snake draft does not change. Mm-hmm. What changes is you folks that have auctions coming. Auctions where you want, where you want to bid to get Ronald Acuna Jr. Now, some people won't have him on their board because at auction, they're not ready to pay 60, 70, $80 for a player, mm-hmm. but Ronald Acuna Jr. Is going to come up for auction in drafts very soon. And, and yours, your draft may well be before we have a clear idea of how long he'll be out. Right. right. And you just get that whole injury situation thing, just kind of sitting on you. So what do you bid? Right. Like what is your max pick? I think that's the thing you need to be thinking about in the auction context. What yeah. is your max bid great for Ronald Acuna yeah. Jr.? Because if you're in a keeper league, you're still keeping him. Mm-hmm. Right. You're still oh, keeping course. him for a yeah. first round pick. Mm-hmm. If you're in a dynasty league, you're not you're not moving him for God's sake. And mm-hmm. no one's gonna let you trade for him. Right. So like it's really it's redraft or any league where Ronald Acuna Jr. is available for auction. Right. That's where, you know, run the numbers. I'm still, I think in a standard league, I'm I was ready to go to like 70, 75. It becomes very difficult to build a team uh, when it, you start spending with more the than 260. That. Uh, yeah. 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 I wow. mean, if you run, if you run it and just use like 2023 year to date, right. right. So you get last year, you saw that Acuna was an $86 player. Wow. Like that's insane. If you mm. use ATC and look, you know, at projections, he's a $73 player. The mm. number two guys, Aaron judge at 46. Mm-hmm. Right. That's almost 30 more dollars. Right. So the question is not, do you, is Ronald Acuna Jr. the best? The question is now, how much better is he than everyone else? Right. Right. I don't know. I just, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I get nervous, to, you know, with my number one pick overall, taking someone that is injured. And, but I get what you're saying. You're making some very valid points, but it, it's the same knee. Right. I know it's, you know, Irritation is what they're calling it, but uh, yeah. So, sometimes I think about you know you know these running backs who who rush for two thousand yards and then the next season they just kind of <laughs> they 
their production is just gone. You, you wonder if maybe he, he just did a little bit. 70 stolen bases last year. And you brought up a good point, you know, in terms of, you know, he could lead the league in, in, in home runs. He could be basically a triple crown pro player and win the stolen base crown too. He's yeah, that talented. He's just like, the only reason we're not yeah. considering him for the triple crown is because pesky Luis Arias is a National League guy. Yeah. Right? And his teammate, Matt Olson hits a bazillion home runs. Right. Right. Those are like the, some of the biggest barriers. And I'm, you know, he did hit 337 last season. Oh yeah. yeah. But again, there's the, the national league specifically has a couple players that just are sort of weird. Mm. Um, who, you know, Luis Arias makes it really difficult. Well, so for like the triple crown for home runs, runs and RBI, the only reason you won't get it is the RBI, right? Mm-hmm. Because other people are driving him in. Right. <laughs> because, <laughs> like, that's it. That's it. And like, he can't, he probably can't win the batting title because I mean, it's a, not a terrible bet, but Luis Arias exists. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, he's probably the the de facto favorite, but other than that, man, like you just, it's silly stats that he does. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And I'm probably still ready to bid 60 in a regular auction. I get up to 65. 70 is when I re- you know, someone is going to be willing to bet 70. I just don't know if it's me. Wow. I wouldn't go that high right now, not knowing, you know, uh, you know, the severity of of what we're looking at. And uh, hopefully it's it's nothing, you know, because I'm, I'm looking at uh, Dr. Jesse Morse on, on X, you know, formerly known as Twitter. And, you know, he goes through the, the different possibilities here and says that he's going to be evaluated by one of the top uh, orthopedic surgeons in the country. I don't know, you know if I could trust Dr. Jesse Morse. No, no insult to Dr. Jesse Morse, but. He's saying that he's seeing a, a top orthopedic surgeon. That that scares me. So, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, but, you know, that's, that's kind of what we talk about in previous podcasts about drafting early on in the season. You know, you always have that. There's always that chance that, you know, some of your stores might might get injured. Yeah, just you never know. You know? Yeah, it's, it's this time of year, mm-hmm. right? the one thing I'd say is missing three weeks now is not different than missing three weeks later. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and what we also know is that teams are slightly more conservative this time of year because now missing three weeks and does actually tend to be like a lit, you know, if we say it's a three week injury and it's in spring training, sometimes that means like it's four weeks. So they're really playing again. Right. Uh, Cause they got so to ramp up. Yeah. You have to think, about, yes. have to think about what they're saying, right? Are they talking about how long the injury takes to heal? Or are they talking about when we expect them back in the lineup? They're two slightly different things, but this time of year, there's actually a fairly big difference, right? Because teams baby guys a little more because they don't want these injuries to linger into the regular season. There's also like, yeah, he might not like, it's only a three week injury, but, um, he still needs to get ramped up. This is especially true with pitching, sure, uh, like more so than it is with hitting, but yep. just something to keep an eye on. Are they talking about that's how it usually like saying this injury usually lasts three weeks in June generally means, well, we should expect him back on the field in three weeks. Cause that is the only context, right? Mm-hmm. But if they're starting to say like, it's three weeks before he can throw again, that doesn't necessarily mean like, then there's still the ramp up. Right. 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 So that's what makes it tough for guys like Senga to evaluate where with Ronald Cunha Jr. It is a bit different, right? Like he already had some spring training at bats and they're warm. They're ready. The hitters are ready for spring training to be done. Uh, you know, two weeks with two weeks to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas pitching could use another two weeks. Right. Yeah. And there's going to be more Cunha supposedly in the major leagues, right? His younger brother. I think he's in middle school or something. 
wasn't it, didn't he? Yeah, he's yeah, like but, a verbal commit, like it's college yeah, football, right? It's right, like a right, verbal yeah. commit to yeah. the Philadelphia Phillies. I love that. I think that's brilliant. Like, obviously, the lawyer in me, um, I don't talk about yeah. much, but I am a, a licensed attorney, and I'll tell you that no contract with a 12-year-old is enforceable in any way. Right. Uh, that's why they don't let 12-year-olds, like, sign up for things that have to be paid for because contracts with folks under the age of majority are just, like, not enforceable. <laughs> Basically, they'll... They'll like, if they do it, that's great, but you can't actually enforce the contract. Um, so like, it's cool to hear them say like, yeah, I want to be a Philly and yeah, it but, might give the Phillies a, you know, but also you have to like, it's going to be weird because like, they're, I don't think they're allowed to like, you can't, like, when can you start, you know, recruiting guys? Right, right. Right. At what point are you, I mean, like, I know they do it out in the Dominican. Right. But mm. I, I, I've never heard of this. Right. Like, I mean, usually hear about it like in high school. Right. But like. Do they send pro scouts to travel ball? I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> how, how do you th how do you think that this happened? They were just like, you know, they're just sitting around the, the boardroom and saying, hey, you know, uh, I hear Acuna, you know, we already have uh, a younger brother. I think he's in the Mets system, right? And then there's an even younger brother. Why don't we reach out to him and, and you know, see if he'd be interested in just, you know, being a Philly, you know, just put the idea in his head. So it's. I mean, hey, it's it's not the worst idea in the world, yeah, right? Like, yeah. like, hey, this guy's real good. And this other guy looks like he might be real good. Is there another one? <laughs> I mean, bring, bring him in. <laughs> so that's a, a fun story. So, um, all right. So uh, we're drafting, actually, right, in the great fantasy baseball invitational. How's that going for you? What, what round are you in? These are um, 15 team leagues, like a series of, of leagues. So, there's individual leagues that you compete in, and then there's an overall uh, component to this league. Uh, it's yeah, yeah, uh, just yeah. I mean, it operates together. just like mm -hmm. it operates just like the NFBC, except it's free. It's like you know, over 400 people usually. Uh, you know, Justin Mason, former boss, good friend of mine. He I love love the work he does. He works hard on this. Yeah, uh, I'm in round 17. I am in. I mean, all the leagues are tough, mm. right? And you know, mine has, you know, some real fun people in it. We have, um, you know, our, our colleague, Sarah Sanchez is in this oh, wow. one. Okay. Scott Pianowski is in this one. Wow. Uh, the, the great, Eno Saris in this oh my one. God. Wow. That's a killer um, league. It's, it's I mean, those it's people, just it's those tough. people you uh, mentioned. Yeah. It, I mean, it's tough. It's been, it's been, uh, uh, it's just been a really tough draft the, the entire way. Again, we're in round 17. I'll tell you that from a hitter perspective, I really like my team, mm -hmm. uh, except this is a five, this is a 15 team, five outfield format. If you've ever played one of those, you know, that outfield can get ugly fast mm -hmm. in a 15 team, five outfield format. Like the NFBC has, you're going to have weak spots on your team. What you have to do is figure out where those weak spots are going to be and how okay you are with that. You right. can't really do that going into the draft, right? <clears throat> because you just don't know how everything's going to play out. Mm -hmm. Um, I realized in the first, uh, you know, really after like the fifth or sixth round that I hadn't really picked up any of my second base targets, right? A lot of them were gone. So I was going to wait. I'm going to tell you it's round 17. I'm still waiting, right? I still have not taken a second baseman. Uh, wow. I've got shortstop and middle infield. I've got guys at the corners. I got, you know, plenty of power. I've, you know, I picked fifth. Uh, I, I took Freddie Freeman. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of wish I would have picked eighth because I think I still could have gotten Freddie Freeman, but mm -hmm. <laughs> I wanted like an outside chance at Mookie Betts. It didn't happen. But um, yeah, so I got 
Uh, I got Freddie Freeman. I've got, you know, in Torkelson, I've got another guy who's hurt right now. Um, but it's not, I, you know, I'm not quite as worried about it long-term and that's, uh, Josh Young. I've Mm. got Adley Rutschman, Sal Perez, Willie Adamas at shortstop. Um, my outfield, you know, starts great. It's got Michael Harris, Brian Reynolds. I just in the 17th round took my third outfield, which is really late to Mm. get a third outfield in this format because you start running out of guys with full season playing time. Right. Right. Um, I actually really wanted, I really wanted Jung Hu Lee. Uh, it didn't work out. Um, so I have Brian De La Cruz. Interesting. Uh, I do feel, yeah. I you know do why? Really like I took him in the 17th round as well, but go ahead. Go ahead. What's well, that? I, it's interesting because I took him in the seventh, in the actually in the 17th round as well, Brian De La Cruz. Great value. As, I, I like as, Brian De La Cruz there. That's my fourth um, outfielder. Yeah, I like him a lot better as a fourth than a third, but mm. um, you know, it, it's gonna it's gonna work out. I have a really strong rotation, though. That's where the sacrifice has been. Mm. Right. So I have um, let's see, one, two, three, four. I have five pitchers in my top 50, uh, starting pitchers in my top 50 in my rotation right now, actually six, mm. um, with Pablo Lopez, Aaron Nola, Sonny Gray, wow. Shota Imanaga, Kodai Senga, who's going to be out for a little bit, uh, mm. and Brian Bello. Mm. So I think my, I think my rotation is really strong. I've only got one closer pulse the wall, but I don't care as much. I'm light on stolen bases. That's something that always happens to me in these leagues. I'm very quick to give up on stolen bases. Mm. Um, and actually the best year that I ever had in the NFBC, I got ninth overall. Uh, and it was without stolen bases pretty mm. much entirely. Well, it's one category. So it, yeah. So, I mean, possible. And you know, mm. my goal is to win my league. It'd be right. great to be number one overall. My goal is to win my league. I think I can do that mm-hmm. with the smattering of stolen bases that I have. Right. Um, I've got, you know, I've got a couple 20 stolen base guys. I think Freddie Freeman can do it again. I think uh, Michael Harris can steal bases. Uh, I've got Ezekiel Tovar. He'll steal a couple. I've got some chip in guys uh, like, you know, Willie Adamas can probably get close to 10. Right. Mm. Um, You know, Spencer Torkelson's not going to steal any, but I was very happy to get him. Uh, That was actually a very like conscious decision where I was like, I could take Spencer Torkelson or I could take someone that helps with stolen bases. But then Mm. I was like, I want to have fun though. So I took Spencer Torkelson. Is Johan Rojas still around? Uh, he might be actually. Yeah. So he's out there. Yeah. I'm I'm not, you know, I've got a couple guys on my list that could chip in with some steals. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, nobody in my league's listening to this. So like Parker Meadows is a guy I'm going to target. Yeah. He uh, just went, he just went in the 18th round of my league. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's, he could go, uh, before he comes back, I still need a second baseman. I'm really, you know, we talked about second baseman last week. I'm, I'm really looking at Julian. Oh, he got taken early. Ah, somebody was listening to you last week. I guess <laughs> he's, I mean, he's, he's gaining some steam. So, um, you know, I wish I knew more about Jonathan India's injury status, mm-hmm. uh, but we just know that he's out multiple weeks, uh, with an issue, uh, with a plantar fasciitis issue, uh, plantar fasciitis yeah. tough one, cause that's a condition. That's yeah. not an injury. That's a lingering right? thing too. That is, well, it's just something you manage your whole life, right? If yeah, you ever yeah. have been to, you know, at your local Walmart in the mm-hmm. uh, shoe insert department, there's a bunch of them for plantar fasciitis because it's a thing that you just have to manage all the time. Yes. So that's a little scary, but there's still a couple second basemen I am fine with as my starting second baseman. So we'll see mm-hmm. what happens. Okay. Very good. Very good. Yeah. I uh, went in the past couple of seasons in this league. Uh, I have always done really, really well in pitching, but my, uh, hitting has been lacking. So this year I went really heavy on, on hitting. So uh, my, my two catchers, Will Smith, Elias Diaz, first base, Christian and Carcion Strand, second base, Kettle Marte, 
Uh, shortstop is my speed guy, Nico Horner. Uh, third base, Austin Riley. Uh, corner, I went with Reese Hoskins. Uh, just took uh, Ryan Mountcastle as my UT. Um, Jordan Alvarez as one of my outfielders. Adolis Garcia, another outfielder. Uh, Masataka Yoshida, another outfielder. And like I said, I took Dela Cruz in the outfield. Pitching is 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 lacking, and I'm I'm looking at uh, Nick's top 400 list. <laughs> but uh, my pitching is uh, uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who looked incredible the other day. Um, my only closer is Alexis Diaz, who was one of the last big closers to go. Um, and uh, I took uh, Shota Aminaga, Hunter Brown, Louis Varlin, and you say. Kikuchi. So I've got my work cut out and finding some some depth in, in starting pitching, but uh, I'm going to use uh, Nick's uh, list as a, as a tool. <laughs> but uh, I think I'm going to just it's a lot of power in this team, so I'm, I'm liking it, but we'll see. I feel you could always find pitching uh, on the wire every week. Yeah, if you yeah. want to pay for it. Hey, I'll pay for it. Why not? I'm not cheap. <laughs> You're going to have to pay for something. Yeah, right. yeah, so of course. Gonna, gonna, well, we'll, we'll wrap this up but just by saying, yeah. you know, 15 team leagues, you mm-hmm. always have deficiencies. You're always going to be chasing something on the wire. Right. Right. Even if I'll, on draft day, you finish your draft, and you're like, man, you know what? This is an awesome team. I don't have any weaknesses. Yeah. Like, I'll ask you again at the, you know, in middle of April because mm-hmm. someone has gone down. Someone is not getting the playing time we wanted. Someone is on a role that we didn't like is having a role that we didn't expect. Yeah. Something. Right. Stephen Kwan yeah, will show up. Him. Remember Stephen Kwan, his first month uh, a couple of years back, he was betting 500, uh, and everyone was going nuts trying to add them to their teams. There's always somebody that shows up. Yeah. So, you know, just you know, don't don't get through, especially the deeper the draft, the, the more you need to break yourself of this. I have a weakness, so it's going to be a bad year. No. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a weakness. You, yeah. At least you know what yours is, right? Mm-hmm. That's the important thing, is to have a good idea of what's my weakness and a couple contingencies, right? If this player goes down, if this player doesn't make the jump I'm hoping for them to make, mm-hmm. what does that mean in terms of weaknesses on my team? Are there single players I'm relying on heavy, heavily? Your team sounds like it's relying a lot on steals uh, with Nico Horner, right? And that's fine. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that, right. right? But it's also a thing where it's like, I'm going to need to be hyper vigilant about Nico Horner's stolen base opportunities. Right. Right. Because if they don't start coming, I got to start acting soon. I can't wait until July. Yeah. Well, I mentioned, I think Rojas is going to be in the next outfielder I target. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's all there, right? It's, it's, and there's always, like you said, there's going to be guys that are going to chip in five to 10 stolen bases. I mean, I could get 10 stolen bases uh, from Adolis Garcia. I mean, that could happen. I mean, it's just going to. Oh, I expect that. Yeah. Kettle, Kettle Marte, uh, Marte, Kettle Marte, maybe, you know, five to 10. And yeah, you're just going to get them here and there. So. Right. It's really about when, like, getting ready for in season management, mm-hmm. right? Because you're going to have a lot of it. So just have an idea, right? Because, like, the stats are so noisy the first couple of weeks of the se- weeks oh, of yes. season. You can't look at everything. Right. Look, look for this. Like, there should be specific things you're looking at early on, though, mm-hmm. which is like, hey, I was concerned about my stolen bases. I needed to get them from here, here, and here. What's this team doing on the debate on the base paths, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, the, the Cubs don't have a lot of steals the first couple of weeks, you know, first couple of series, right? right let let right. me look into that. Let me understand why that is. Is it matchups based? Is it that, you know, maybe they're not going to be as aggressive as they were the year before? Like, let, I don't know. So that's, you know, that is the other thing that we're really pulling out of this time of year. Stolen bases in the spring do have some correlation to regular season. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's some good presentations on that at First Pitch Arizona. 
and you so you can start doing that now. But also the sample sizes early on skew data a ton. So right. you know, is it that their philosophy is changing, or is it that like oh they drew a couple tough catchers right out of the break, right? right. Like they hit the ground running, like they wanted to hit the ground running, and they ran into a bunch of tough batteries that don't allow many steals. So was that it? That's the kind of context I'm looking for right off the bat. And we've spoken uh, on previous podcasts. You could stream stolen bases too, right? Uh, I mean, uh, oh, based on to. yeah, based you on matchups too. I mean, you can manage stream your team. anything, right? Yeah. You can stream anything. Stolen mm-hmm. bases are one that are a little bit easier because it's uh, very focused on specific variables, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's about how many plate appearances is, is this guy going to get? Is his team does his team like to steal bases? And does this battery he's facing allow stolen bases, right? Mm-hmm. So like there's this very specific, it's hard to find a good matchup for like RBI, right? Mm-hmm. A matchup for RBI is bad pitcher, right? <laughs> or like, or like platoon advantage hits lefties. Well, you're just looking for a guy that, you know, hits well, but with stolen bases specifically, you're not really as concerned about how hard this guy can hit him. In fact, you hope he doesn't hit a double, mm-hmm. right? Because <laughs> then he might not steal a base. So it's, it's like very specifically this pitcher and catcher combo. Does one of them or both of them have a significant weakness? Like I'll tell you that the Pirates are really looking at Yasmani Grandal being their primary catcher, right? They just don't want Henry Davis back there a lot. Hmm. And Yasmani Grandal is terrible at stopping base runners, hmm. right? So it's like, hey, look, teams are teams are going to run against this guy. The, the book on him is not incomplete. We know what Yasmani Grandal is. So if that's the case, run. Right. Run, 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 run. So then you can stream stolen bases against the pirates. Mm-hmm. Right. You know that generally speaking, their pitching is not very good. So even guys at the back of the order are going to have a chance. Right. They just got to be fast. They don't right. even have to be that fast if it's Yasmani mm-hmm. Grandal. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just fun to be drafting. I think uh, the Raz Slam starts on, on Monday, the, the, the day that our podcast comes out. So uh, just a lot of fun just drafting right um so i think this would be a good spot for us to take our first break we're going to talk short stops uh, when we come back uh first guy we'll talk about stole 49 bases we last season so kind of a, a a good segue but uh we'll talk about the top tier of short stops with my buddy scott right after this and we're back. Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I'm Joe Glina. You could follow me on X. I'm giving in. I'm just calling it X, Scott. Uh, at Joe Galina. And follow Scott at If The Chew Fits. So, uh, like I said, uh, prior to the break, we're going to talk shortstops in this episode. Got to start with Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, had a full breakout last year. Um 276 batting average, 813 OPS, stole 49 bases, led the league with 15 caught steals, but uh, 30 home runs, 96 RBI. Uh, Batting average improvement, batted 276, 22 points higher than his 2022 batting average. Uh, StatCast expected batting average was 297. Pitcher list expected batting average, 284. So that's a good sign, right? Uh, plate discipline improvement, K rate and walk rate improved, cut down on his chase rate a bit, power metrics in, uh, increased, 100% percentile. Love this guy. Top top three overall pick, no? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, rank, I do rank him third uh, behind Julio Rodriguez, but if you want to move him around, that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't really care. It's, you know, 
big things for Bobby Wood Jr. He's um, he's excellent at making contact. Our PLV metrics love Bobby Wood Jr., particularly with contact ability. What was great to see last season, uh, and it was almost a carryover from 2022, is that he was not good at decision value. And then as 2023 really gets into gear, we just see this very nice improvement. And by the end of the season, he's in the 75th to 90th percentile in decision-making Bobby Wood Jr. So a Bobby Wood Jr. with that kind of contact ability and that kind of decision value really helps raise that floor. Coming into last season, our biggest issue with Bobby Wood Jr. was not talent. It was floor, mm-hmm. right? Because we're like, look, this guy swings a lot. He's not going to walk a ton. Um, it, and swinging a lot, even with when even if you have good contact ability, it can lead to a lot of bad batted balls because if you're swinging at pitches that are very hard to do anything with, you're just not going to do that much with them, right? right? It's it's fairly straightforward. So what happens with Bobby Wood Jr. is just by being a little bit more select. I mean, actually, he he becomes quite a bit more selective at the dish. He really focuses on this the pitches he can actually hit. Starts taking more of those border pitches a little bit. Um, really kind of keying in on when he can do damage. And that's what makes all the difference for him. So with Bobby Wood Jr., I loved seeing that. Look, that doesn't mean he's going to do that all the time, but now we know that he's shown us in a season that he can really improve in his decision-making. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's fluky, right? I think it's just getting adjusted to major league pitching. I think Bobby Wood Jr. is going to be a top three pick for quite some time. Yep, yep, agreed, totally. And we're looking at this based on NFPC ADP. Um, I'm going back to October Scott's taking a look a little closer so if there's any um changes in ADP he's going to let us know but uh Trey Turner second uh shortstop taken overall um we've spoken about Trey Turner uh, probably within the na- uh, last uh several episodes but ended up with a uncharacteristically low 266 overall batting average with a 778 OPS 26 home runs 30 stolen bases didn't get caught stealing at all, but his OBP uh, of 320 was his lowest since his rookie season when he played just 27 games. Uh, like I said, batted 266, but his pitch list expected batting average 248, stat cast expected batting average 266, right on target with what his actual was. Got off to a slow start, and uh, if you remember, th- th- there was a, a time there Phillies fans just gave him like a standing O out of nowhere, so I just did a Google search and I didn't know why that actually happened, but uh, Jack Fritz, who uh, is uh, works at Sports Radio WIP, uh, has sixty seven thousand plus followers on X. He, he started this uh, movement where you know basically he tweeted out or xed out whatever. He says, "I know he's making three hundred million, so it's unpopular to say that you feel bad for the guy, but I legitimately feel bad for Trey Turner." Uh, his post-game interview was a tough watch. He's in the cages until midnight. Just think he's lost. A standing O on Friday would go a long way. And this game traction's got. So all of a sudden, you know, he steps into the box and he gets this unexpected. Well, I guess it maybe was expected if you were really following what was going on on Jack Fritz's Twitter feed. But he gets the standing O. And <laughs> from then on, his last 45 games of the season, we've talked about this, 337 batting average, 1.055 OPS, uh, 15 homers. Um, you know, it was it's a nice story to hear. But uh, your take on uh, Trey Turner. <sighs> Love the story. <laughs> um, Trey Turner is my fourth ranked shortstop. If you use NFBC eligibility, he's my third ranked shortstop. Monkey Betts 
uh, jumps in there for right. the folks who have five game eligibility. Right. So um, it really changes nothing about Mookie Betts. It's just mm-hmm. some yeah. more letters I have to type when mm-hmm. I'm putting in his positions. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I have Trey Turner fourth. I have him behind Corey Seager, who we'll get to in just a little bit. The thing about Trey Turner is it's not about a light switch going on, right? The story of Trey Turner is 34 games, 34 games from August 5th through September 12th, right? Um, he hits 16 home runs and has 74 combined runs in RBI in 34 games. He also steals six bases, right? That's 40% of Trey Turner's counting stats and extra base hits, mm-hmm. right? He had 27 total extra base hits in those 34 games. 40% of that comes in this one 34 game stretch prior to that. So from the beginning of the season to August 4th, Trey Turner was hitting 236, 289, 367. The 14 games after, uh, which is September 13th, the end of the season, he hits 222, 300, 296 right? There's this one, and this is what makes it so hard to under, like to really project what Trey Turner can do. Look, mm-hmm. we know that over 34 games, he can be the best player in baseball, right? Mm-hmm. For a short time, right? Like not named Ronald Acuna Jr., right? Like he can do that. There's a reason I rank him fourth and not ninth, right? But we really have to recognize that there's a lot of risk here, right? Like, especially if you're in a head-to-head, you know, let's say you're in head-to-head categories, Trey Turner was an absolute sandbag for 108 games before Mm -hmm. he did really anything positive for you. And then in the final two weeks, he was not good again, right? Like 34 games. How much do you believe in those 34 games? Yes. He also has a long track record of success. Yes. Trey Turner is not a one-year wonder. They aren't the only 34 good games of his career but it's worth noting that he had several downward trends coming into last season, Mm -hmm. right? Things like ability to make contact in the zone, all trending down and they don't get that much better. He never actually goes back to being the player he used to be in terms of a lot of the underlying metrics. Just the results look like the player he used to be. I thought I saw an increase in his zone contact at the end of the season. It was like at 92% by the end of the season, but you're right. Like leading into the season, there was some disturbing. He has some some rolling spikes that kind of get up there, but he doesn't like, he doesn't really sustain anything like he had earlier in his career. Mm -hmm. So I'm cautious. Right. Right. Because 122 bad games is a lot of bad games. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's an enormous number of bad games. What if, what if okay. he doesn't what if he doesn't break the world in 34 good games again? Mm-hmm. Let me tell you another guy who had a really bad span of games. Juan Soto, current Yankee. Remember, I've, I've told you, you know, we've spoken about this where for a period of like, I, I don't have the stats in front of me now, but there was a period of like almost like a full season where he was just human. And then all of a sudden, he just turned it on last season. And I'm reading an article uh, uh, this week uh, with Soto where he was so upset that he got traded from the Nationals and he cried. And, you know, and, and so I, I and, and we've spoken about this before in terms of just the general mental aspect of the game. And it's so hard to quantify. But, you know, these people are human. And, you know, if you follow Colton and the Wolfman, I'm sure you've heard of them, right? They're big time uh, fantasy analysts. They always kind of caution against drafting 
or rostering someone the first year they're on a new team. So, and don't get me wrong. What you're saying is correct. Like there were some, dis- like some downward trends leading into last season, but uh, I mean, I'm not avoiding him. Um, you know, I mean, he's still, I mean, look, look, his, his stats against lefties, 229 stats against righties, 282. That never happened before, right? Um, batting average against off-speed stuff last season, 238. Previous two seasons was 322 and 345. So, yeah, there's some some, some kinks in the armor. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's interesting to note um, and to take into consideration you know, what a, a movement like, and, and it's not like, I mean, he wanted to go to Philadelphia. I think that he, that was a target of his. So, but I guess maybe he felt some pressure. I don't know if you could, like I said, even quantify that at all. Yeah. And the one big difference between Juan Soto and Trey Turner is that Juan Soto's bad period is an average player. Mm. Trey Turner's bad period is one of the worst full-time hitters in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like, you know, he, was, he, was, he was bad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like he was Trey Turner, and that's that's what makes it so concerning. Mm-hmm. It's and again, let's be clear. I rank Trey Turner as my fourth shortstop. Right, third if you're using twenty game eligibility. Mm-hmm. Right, I do believe that he's still a very good player. Right, it's just that the basement, the floor for Trey Turner now is so different than what I thought it was one year ago. Right. Because I had never seen him be so bad for 122 games. Right, right. Right? So do you and, agree and with the no, projection like, models? No injury stuff. What's yeah. that? Do you agree with the projection models? They're saying basically 280, you know, low 20 home run total and, you know, I don't know 28 to 33 stolen bases. Do you think that's fair? Projections are just going to be higher on him than I am because projections are going to look back at the last three years and say, like, yeah. oh, yeah, it's all fine. Averages, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But, like, it wasn't fine. Mm. <laughs> like, like, those 34 games got all the numbers back. But, man, having 34 games like that is not easy. So, in your gut, what do you think he does next year or this year? I'm going to say 20 home runs. Mm-hmm. Plenty of runs scored because the Phillies are still good. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's another 75-ish RBI. That's normal for him. Um, and I think the stolen bases are there, right? Yeah. He's, you know, 20 home, he's got the 20 home runs. Yeah. 20 home runs, 30 stolen bases are there for me. I think the yes. stats will be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a big difference between doing that and hitting 300 and doing that and hitting 270. Right. 260. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the part I think that can change considerably. Mm-hmm. I think the batting average can come down. I, and it's not so much like that my projection for him it's, has changed. It's that the range of projections is so different now. Right. We've right? never seen him 18, as bad as he was. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So and I can argue with it's you. An important, note, an important note about projections is they are giving us one possible reality. The reality mm-hmm. they think is the most likely, right? But that you run that projection a hundred times and there are seasons like the worst season for Trey Turner used to be still a top 10 shortstop. And I don't think that's true anymore. Mm-hmm. I think there are realities now where Trey Turner ends outside the top 10 shortstops, mm-hmm. right? Um, shortstop is still a fairly deep position, right? We talked about second base 
in our last episode. And as of over the last two weeks in drafts uh, at the NFBC, there's about 95 of them, last 95 drafts, there are exactly five second basemen that always go in the top 100, meaning their max pick is inside the top 100, mm-hmm. right? At shortstop, the number is double that. There are 10 shortstops that always go in the top 100 picks over the last two weeks, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's a chance that Trey Turner ends the season is not one of those is not in the top 10. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's likely. I think it's right. actually very likely that he's inside the top 10. In fact, it's most likely he's inside the, you know, it's probably most likely he's inside the top five or six. Mm-hmm. Right. But the floor is just so different now. That's all. Like, I know I keep saying it. It's because that's, that's, it's not that I'm down on Trey Trey Turner overall. It's right. that the floor is much lower than we ever thought it was before now. Fair it enough. is not the same Fair. old Trey Turner in terms of what that floor looks like. Right. And uh, just to talk about the depth of the, of the position, maybe I should have started off when, before we even started with shortstop. It's not as deep as it once was, correct? I mean, it's still the deepest, right? Yeah. You know, but eight guys with an ADP inside the top 50. We don't have a Juan um, the Franco anymore. I mean, the, the, you know. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like some warts on yeah. guys. Yeah. Some, some guys question marks. Older. Yeah. Uh, you know, Boba Chet has lost some of the shine. You know, a couple guys we'll talk about aren't yeah. quite, you know, it, it becomes more, it, it goes from like all these guys are super elite to a lot of them are just very, very good. It's very deep, but mm-hmm. the star power isn't quite the same. Right. Losing Tatis Jr. from this position also. Sure. Matters. Sure. Talk about Corey Seager, sports hernia surgery about a month ago. Narrative is that he'll be ready for opening day. Uh, still being drafted as the fourth shortstop off the board in consensus drafts. Uh, th- this is now, I'm looking at Fantasy Pros, which uh, links uh, ESPN, Yahoo, CBS, all these other, uh, RTS, I believe, um, but had a, a tremendous season uh, f- with the Rangers, 33 home runs, 96 RBI, batted 327, 1.013 OPS, 42 doubles. I like to see a lot of doubles. Uh, you know, that means that to me, some of those doubles could eventually turn into home runs, but um, I could just go on and on. Second highest barrel rate and hard hit rate of his career. Uh, you know, his uh, barrel rate was 15.2. Uh, the league average is 6.9. Real discipline hitter. Uh, but you just have to wonder, and this goes back to what we were talking about a little earlier in terms of, you know, a, a player starting off a little slower, needing to get ramped up because you know he missed he's gonna miss all of spring training, right? Yeah. So, you know, easy part about Corey Seeger is that last for example, last season on a per game basis, Corey Seeger was the fourth best hitter in fantasy, mm-hmm. right? With at least 250 plate appearances. So a huge pool of players. He was the fourth best, right? Mm-hmm. He was only behind Acuna, Otani, and Carroll. Uh this is according to the fangraphs uh Actually, this is according to the Rasball player rater. It was just easier to do the sorting that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, you know, when he plays, Seager's amazing. The problem is that he doesn't always play. In fact, since the start of 2018, uh, Corey Seager has only played in 66% of the games that he could have played in, right? Mm-hmm. On average, that's about 107 games per season. That's his average. Uh, since the start of 2018 and it is 2024. So 2018, not as recent as maybe it feels for some of us older folks who think that was, you know, two weeks ago. So with Corey Seager, one, 
doesn't steal bases, something you just have to accept. We, you know, even this point of the draft is where like through five category guys just kind of aren't as common. Um, but you give it, you, you kind of don't care about all that because if you told me Corey Seager plays 140 games, which is a big ask for a guy who is averaging significantly less than that. Mm. Right. If you told me he did like it is not, it would not surprise me much to hear the Corey Seager stat line of 140 games be like 40 home runs, 110 runs scored and 110 RBI. Mm -hmm. Right. With a darn near 300 batting average. That's the type of player this guy is. Mm -hmm. Right. Like just from a statistical standpoint, like he's again, if, if it wasn't for the injury concerns, we'd be talking about him in the early second round. Right. We'd be talking about him along with guys like Jordan Alvarez and Bryce Harper, because with the bat, Corey Seager can do that. Mm -hmm. Right. He just doesn't play. Yeah. So, I mean, are you, uh, if you do draft him, I mean, this year especially, uh, are, you, are you making sure that you have a decent backup, at least for that first, we'll say, month, month and a half to the season? Um, I'm just having but, one in general. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, a, JP, like a, J, yeah. a JP Crawford or Willie Adamas, somebody, you know, down the line, you say, well, you know, just in case Seager misses his typical few weeks or whatnot. And in a 12-team league, it, it's it's probably like maybe at least finding someone with some dual eligibility mm. later on, right? Like, man, I'd love to wait. It's, you know, if I take Corey Seager pretty early, I'd love to wait on second base and maybe grab like a, like a Tyro Estrada. Or mm -hmm. something like that, who can flip between second base and shortstop because what that does in season is functionally doubles the pool of players you can get to replace a Corey Seager, right? Because mm -hmm. now you can look at second base or shortstop right. because you could just find a shortstop and leave Tyro Estrada at second, or you can look for a second baseman and flip your Estrada over to shortstop, right? So I, I would at least be looking for someone else on my roster with that shortstop eligibility just so that I have a nice pool of players that I can use to sort of. Um, replace him if needed. Uh, you know, one guy that I would love to pair with him in in leagues that have like a ten or a five game eligibility would be, uh, you know, really just. I mean, Mookie Betts, if he was my first round pick, like that would be an amazing pairing for me because mm -hmm. in a shallower league, right, I can use Betts at shortstop if I need to, and right. then go find a replacement outfielder. And in a twelve team three outfield league, there's plenty of those. Yeah, right. Like that's where this is where positional flexibility really comes in. And it's in season management. It's not like on draft day. It's being able to say like, okay, so I took Mookie bets like right off the bat. I can actually move Corey Seager up my board a little bit now because I'll have a guy that I can move into shortstop if I need to. Right. Mm -hmm. And later on, I just make sure I've got some coverage, but yeah, that that's, that's the kind of thing I, in a perfect scenario I'm doing just one guy who can cover shortstop on the roster. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's talk about Ellie De La Cruz before we take our next break. Uh, overall, 24 ADP in NFBC leagues. Uh, Fantasy Pros consensus ADP of 38, so that's a little bit more reasonable. Like I said, it includes ESPN, CBS, Yahoo, RTS, uh, and NFBC. Um, yeah, having, having a nice spring train. That's one thing I like, too, is we're actually – you know, when you go to Baseball Reference and other sites, you're actually seeing some uh, stats from, you know, my uh, spring training games, which is fun. But uh, look, you know, he's kind of polarizing just based on his ADP, right? But you know, overall numbers, 
uh, we've spoken about him before. 235 batting average, overall K rate, 33.7. Had 13 home runs, 35 stolen bases in 98 games. Uh, we did see some improvement in his K rate as the season progressed. I, I was took your advice, looked at his rolling chart. Uh, his K rate went from a high of just about 45% at one point of the season to just about 30% by season's end, still high. Uh, but his O swing or chase rate or whatever you want to call it these days uh, declined significantly as the season wore on. Um, was 48% in his first 25 games, got it down to 27% by the end of the season. Uh, had Has been a good OBP uh, guy throughout his minor league career. Hopefully that'll, uh, you know, continue because he, he only had a 300 OBP uh, last season. But, uh, you know, crowded uh, infield, we've talked about it, but he's going to play, you know. Every stat cast, or, sorry, PLV metric we have, which is based on stat cast data, Mm-hmm. Tells us that Ellie De La Cruz got a lot better towards the end of the season, even though the results didn't necessarily reflect that. Right. Right. We know that he went from being among the league's worst decision makers to being an average one by the mm-hmm. end of the season. That's a big deal. I don't need Ellie De La Cruz with that kind of power and that kind of speed uh, to be a great decision maker. I need him to be decent at it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because here's the thing. Yes. Ellie De La Cruz struck out a lot. Right. But it's not because he has bad contact ability. Ellie De La Cruz is actually very good at making contact. He just swings at terrible pitches. Right. Mm-hmm. And he actually got much, much, much better with that by the end of the season. Uh, again, according to RPLV metrics, our swing aggression is not raw swing percentage. Right. It's actually based on the pitch you got location, count, spin, breaking ball type, uh, all these things. Right. Based on that, how likely a player, a normal player would have been to swing at that pitch, right? Um, at one point he was 70% or sorry, 7% more likely to swing. That puts him above the 90th percentile, extremely aggressive for the next 1000 pitches. That aggression drops basically a straight line down by the end of the season. Ellie De La Cruz is then 10% less likely to swing at a pitch mm-hmm. than the average player, right? At least the pitches he saw right? His rolling 400 pitch graph, which is a fairly stable number in terms of sample size, 10% less likely to swing, right? And that goes hand in hand with that decision value. It becomes Ellie De La Cruz saying, nah, I don't need that. I can spin on that. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have to swing at everything, right? Ellie De La Cruz with just some patience, he doesn't need to be 10% less likely to swing at a pitch, right? He just needs to be average. If he can show us average aggression, and average decision making. Ellie De La Cruz is a 25 home run, 50 stolen base threat. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Again, floor is very low because what if he can't sustain that? What if, what if he, you know, he made that drop, but he comes back and we got to start back from square one, right? That's a problem. But there's a reason Ellie De La Cruz, he is falling in drafts a bit. Uh, Ellie De La Cruz, uh, just in the last two weeks, is down to an ADP of 25, which mm-hmm. doesn't sound. <laughs> Which is still quite early, but it's you know it's maybe half an NFBC round later than he'd been mm-hmm. earlier. We actually see that his min pick is twelve, so he is getting taken in the first round, but it's no longer like middle first round; it's end of first round. And his max pick is forty-one. Like someone was actually able to pick him up in the third round, mm-hmm. which I like. 
So Ellie De La Cruz, I can't say that I'm targeting him because somebody probably likes him more than I do, but I don't think those people are crazy because lots of the charts show us that there is a lot of upside here and he started to show it to us. That excitement I had for O'Neill Cruz back in 2020 uh, and the off season between 2022 and 2023, it's like that with Ellie De La Cruz, except Ellie De La Cruz is like faster mm-hmm. way. Like they're both like 99th percentile guys actually, but but Cruz is also like 6'6", and it's hard to steal bases when you're 6'6". I'll talk about him more, of course, in yes. just a bit. But sure. Ellie De La Cruz, he could absolutely steal 50 to 60 bases, mm-hmm. right? Only 21 years old. I think that the decision-making can continue to be average, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm very high on him. I ranked him as my sixth overall shortstop. Again, that's not as high as his ADP, uh, but it's not that far when you consider that um, uh, Mookie Betts, is part of my rankings at shortstop. So mm-hmm. in actuality, I rank him fifth. So I would still take Corey Seager because that ceiling is just a lot clearer to see how he gets there. He just plays, mm-hmm. but that, that's where I've got him. Well, the Reds have announced uh, that Dela Cruz will be their starting shortstop and McLean's going to be their starting second baseman. So I guess barring just, he just, you know, slumps terribly. Uh, he should, you know, easily get 500 to 600 plate appearances i would imagine uh if not but, more yeah that's what i'm saying i you know uh but there there are a lot of moving parts to that infield but uh you know it just depends on on uh if he slumps or not but we'll see hopefully we continue to see uh, a good progression uh this would be another good spot for us to take another break We've got a lot of short stops to still talk about i want to talk uh just a little indoor uh yeah I don't know if we should talk gunner henderson because he might be playing some third, but he's shortstop eligible. Uh, could talk some Jackson Holiday. I want to hear your take on O'Neill Cruz. We'll talk about all of them right after this. All right, welcome back. Hacks and Jacks, the fantasy baseball podcast, Joe Galina and Scott Chu. Um, talking about the shortstop position. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think about uh, Lindor, Francisco Lindor? I, I bet a lot of people don't realize, especially the ones that checked out and were playing fantasy football, that he was a 30-30 guy last season. For the first time. Yeah. Uh, which is six years later than I originally thought he would have done that. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so he's he's still a Met. Met's obviously huge underperforming team last season. Uh, he played through injuries. So Lindor had an elbow injury. Um, he had a procedure on it. It seems like he's fine now. Not a flashy guy. Um, I, you know, I'm not counting on 30-30 again, but he's incredibly durable, super high floor. He does have power, does have speed. Um, he, he's been very good throughout his career. I mean, this is a this is a floor play at shortstop. I think he offers some upside. Uh, basically, what you saw last season is probably the peak of his upside. But it's, again, it's just the a really high floor guy uh, in a range of players at this stage of shortstop that we actually see a lot. There's a lot more volatility here. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you about Lindor, what I noticed, and then we can move on because we don't need to spend a lot of time on him. We know that, you know, basically what he can do, but just first five years of his career, about a 288 last four seasons uh, that came down to 254. And I think that we just have to accept that that's what it's going to be. Um, he, he doesn't like hitting at City Field. I mean, I, I don't know if that's actually true, but he just doesn't perform at City Field. 226, uh, 227 games at City Field, the Mets' home ballpark, has a 243 batting average and 757 OPS. So uh, I think that just 
playing half his games in City Field is going to, you know, uh, cap his batting average to the 250 to 260 range. But he's going to be a good source of home runs and steals. Um, you know, so that's just my two cents. Um, yeah, I mean, plenty of counting stats just yeah. because he hits in the middle, you know, near the top of a of a, a lineup that's got a decent top half to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just plays a ton. Yeah. Plays a ton. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, since his first full season in the majors in 2016, he's played no fewer than a hundred or yeah, no fewer than 125 games. Yes. Right. Yeah. In most cases it's 150 plus. Right. So he, he's going to pile up all the stats. Uh, the big question will be, you know, 31 steals last year projections have an about have him at about 20. It's just, how does the league adjust to year two of the new rules? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, going to be interesting. Uh, Gunnar Henderson, I, I mentioned that we would talk about him. He's third base shortstop eligible. Uh, looks like he's going to play mostly third base. So we'll talk, we'll go in, in depth uh, in his analysis in our next episode when we do third baseman. But where do you have him, right, Scott, in terms of, you know, he's. So he's my number number nine shortstop among players, you know, using the five game start eligibility. Yeah. So he's. Number nine, that's right between O'Neill Cruz and Nico Horner. Right. So uh, yeah, it looks like uh, it's going to be Jackson Holiday. Um, he well, Jackson. It's, it's this is all kind of strange because uh, Holiday is eligible at shortstop only for now, according to NFPC. But it looks like uh, Orioles are going to be using him as their second baseman. So um, I guess we could talk a little Holiday. I guess later, um, if you want to just keep on going in in order. Um, because who would who would your next uh, shortstop be? Bo Bichette at this stage, right? Would he, would he uh, be next? Yeah. You, well, yeah. actually, um, it is it is Bo Bichette. He's my number seven. Mm-hmm. He comes right after uh, Lindor and Ellie De La Cruz. Um, the the reduced steals was depressing for yeah. Bo Bichette, especially with rules. the new rules. Yeah, steals five bases, twenty five mm-hmm. in twenty twenty one, then thirteen, then just five. So overall upside, you, know, you just can't count on Bo Bichette for stolen bases anymore. Right. Um, you don't give now, him a pass started, because of his injury. I mean, he had a right patella tendonitis and a right quad strain. You think that might have played into it a little bit? I I know that the even the season before he only had thirteen stolen bases, and prior to that he had twenty five. So, and yeah, he, he's only twenty five years old. So, I don't maybe know. he does. Maybe he does steal more. I think there's reasons to believe that could happen. I just don't think you can really project it or count on it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that's where you come up with that, you know, 90th percentile outcome upside is that he also starts running again, right. but realistically, right. We're, we're not really counting on that. Uh, the big issue with Boba Chet is not his hit tool. It's that he puts so many balls the other way and doesn't put the ball in the air consistently, mm-hmm. right? Like he's good at hitting the ball, but he just, he's not doing it the way we really want him to. Uh, I think that there is a path to more, you know, to like the, 20 like more than 25 home runs uh but it requires a couple changes to his game and that means i can't really project for it right i can't count on a guy to change batted ball direction both uh horizontally and vertically Mm -hmm. right like i want you to pull it more and put it in the air it's hard to do both right you can start doing one but it's hard to get both so um there's a path to more than being a number seven shortstop uh and the floor is really really high Right. Like mm-hmm. he's going to be a top 10 shortstop. Right. It's just a matter of does he pressure for top five or is he more in the back of the top 10? Right. So I rank him like right in the middle. I've got him at seven, uh, which felt about right. But that's that's kind of the range of outcomes for him. 
He can push towards being a top five shortstop if he really ramps up the home runs or stolen bases. It just has to be one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, or um, if he just kind of does what he did last season and you know, more or less, he's kind of like a back end of the top 10 shortstop, mm -hmm. which makes him a weird guy to draft. He's also his ADP over the last two weeks is seventh among shortstops. Uh, that ADP is 36.74. So, you know, he's kind of right in, he's really within a range of guys that all kind of go together. Um, but I've been passing him up in, in a lot of drafts because I'd rather just wait another round or two and look at other targets. Mm-hmm. All right, fair enough. Um, C.J. Abrams, um, according to NFPC, at least the uh, ADPs that I was looking at, eighth shortstop off the board, uh, min-max pick 16 and 68. Uh, it's going to lead off for the Nationals. Uh, really good sprint speed, 82nd percentile, stole 47 bases, caught only four times. Uh, 245 batting average overall, 712 OPS. Showed some good power, 18 home runs. Um, and his power metrics did improve compared to his 2022 uh, debut season. Uh, it's almost like maybe Abrams and De La Cruz could challenge for the stolen base title this year, right? Uh, yeah, super, yeah, super different hitters, obviously. Yeah. So C.J. Abrams, like he doesn't have the power upside as De La Cruz, and he doesn't have quite as much raw speed, but mm -hmm. his hit tool is totally different right? CJ Abrams is not going to strike out 30% of the time because he just, he has amazing contact ability yes. uh, and he's really aggressive, but more in the Luis Arias style of aggressive, mm -hmm. which is I can put this ball in play. So I'm going to try to put it in play. Like the outcomes that CJ Abrams looks for on those balls where he's kind of going outside the zone. It's not because he was trying to track a home run. It's because he was trying to track a single over the shortstop, mm -hmm. right? Like that's just the kind of hitter he is. He's a bit more slappy. Uh, CJ Abrams had all those stolen bases last year, but it's worth noting that he only had nine stolen bases total by the end of June. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden the Nats are like, do you want to run? Have you, have you ever stolen a base before CJ? Hmm. And he just starts going hmm. right. He steals 16 bases in July. He's also at this time promoted to the leadoff spot. Yep. Steals 16 bases in July, 13 more in August, nine more in September. Yep. It is wild to see a team make this kind of change. Cause CJ Abram was also the leadoff guy at the beginning a little bit. Um, he kind of jumped around between nine and one basically with CJ Abrams lead off CJ Abrams is in roto formats, a top 50 player, right? Uh, my ranks, which are for head to head categories don't have him nearly that high. So mm. he's actually my 13th shortstop for head to head category leads. Uh, he's, you know, in my overall rankings, he's 63, right? That's actually fairly significant for a player of this caliber, mm -hmm. but that's because in head to head formats, I just don't care about stolen bases nearly as much, right? Because it's one category right? that is kind of fluky from week to week. So if stolen bases are a priority, cause you're in like a Roto league, uh, especially a deeper Roto league, he definitely moves up. He moves up in your rankings by like 15 spots almost, mm -hmm. right? That's the kind of jump you get based on format here for uh, CJ Abrams. But that, I mean, the stolen bases are a little risky because he they just, it's weird to see a guy just all of a sudden be allowed to start running right now. He's always had this ability yes. and he's always been a highly regarded prospect. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just Washington just all of a sudden changes how they use him very suddenly without really any kind of warning. In a so way it's, it's a smart weird. guy has an 82nd uh, percentile sprint speed. 
Might as well. Oh, they should have been doing it. it the whole time. Sure. Yeah. Should have been, mm-hmm. but they weren't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. So um, I think that, you know, obviously the upside here is a 20 home run, 50 stolen base guy with an okay to potentially sort of good batting average. Mm-hmm. Um, the He does pop out quite a bit. Uh, cause he just puts a lot of balls in play. His value does drop a bit in OBP leagues cause he's not trying to walk. He's trying to put his bat on the ball. Uh, but the, the power speed combo, like this is what they wanted Victor Robles to be right. CJ Abrams actually is that. So assuming he's a leadoff guy, mm-hmm. I really like him a lot, but I move him down my board in category leagues, like head to head category leagues or points leagues because Stolen bases just don't matter as much. Yeah. The but projection- his value is very dependent on that. Yeah. I guess the projection models take into account, uh, like you said, he's got good plate discipline. So they're giving him a decent uh, batting average. Uh, ATC has him at 253. Steamer has him at 261. So it uh, might not be a, a batting average killer as as we would think. So Yeah, so, he's not. Yeah. He shouldn't be too much of a negative there. Yeah. He just won't really help you. Right, right, right. He won't kill you, right? So uh, next couple of guys are multi-position eligible, and we've spoken about them when we did our second base preview, Nico Horner and Matt McClain. Uh, do you include them in your sh- uh, shortstop rankings? or? Yeah, I mean, they're they're both there. Nico yeah. Horner comes in at number 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt McClain down at 14. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was not. You know, I talked about it before. I'm lower on Matt McClain than yeah. a lot of other guys yep. uh, and lower on him than ADP. But Horner, he's ended up on a lot of teams because I have short, ba- you know, I have stolen base problems. Uh, yeah, like, like mine, times. like mine. Yeah, like my uh, TGFBI. Yeah. yeah. And and Horner is functionally sort of like CJ Abrams, except take away 10 home runs and add like 40 points of batting average. Yeah, yeah, yep. 280, 290, yes. Um, I want to hear your take. I've been looking forward to hearing your take on on your guy. I know you were very high on him, and he missed a ton of time last year. Uh, O'Neill Cruz, Pittsburgh shortstop. Do we see a breakout from him, Scott? Uh, very yeah. po- very polarizing in NFBC leagues. Uh, Min max of thirty nine and one sixteen. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm all you know. I'm all aboard the O'Neill <laughs> Cruz hype train. I was last year. Uh-huh. Still there again. Uh, you know, with him, it was only a nine game sample we saw last season before he really, you know, goes down. But what we did see was a high walk rate, low strikeout rate. And that's actually, I know again, only nine games, but it's a continuation of what we saw at the end of 2022. We saw him really bring that strikeout rate down and that walk rate go back up because we saw decision-making just get much better. Right. Um, it, it's something that he improved on as he played. I, I love Cruz. I think, um, you know, I, I haven't been super on the pulse of of spring training like stat cast numbers, but this dude is going to hit like 120 mile an hour rocket in spring mm. training at some point, and mm-hmm. people are going to remember why we're so excited about this six foot seven freak <laughs> athlete, right? Like, because he's he can at any given time he may be the fastest, strongest guy on the field, right? Like, and he's six seven. He's not going to finish like, his career as a shortstop, no doubt. He's going to be in the outfield, no? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, no he's going to move eventually. Yeah, that, yeah. That's a weird position to play when you're 6'7". Yes. But um, the number of players on God's green earth that can hit the ball 120 miles an hour is not many, right? right. It's sort of like football. It's the 300-pound rule, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they're just a, a finite number of athletic 300-pound people on this earth. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, in football, you want as many of them as you can get, right? Because that's just an... It, 
you can't strict you can't strategize around 300 you know indomic and sue was uh sort of strategy resistant right because he was just big and mean and strong and fast mm -hmm. there's not strategy to deal with that it's just really miserable to deal with at any given time and when it comes to hitting a guy who can hit the ball 120 miles an hour, right? Like, yeah, so can John Giancarlo Stanton, but people still have to strategize a bit for Giancarlo Stanton, right? Mm -hmm. Because he will hit the ball 120 miles an hour if you give him the chance, right? Right, um, And that means, you know, if O'Neill Cruz can be an average decision maker, a lot of pitchers are going to stay the heck away from him. And that can help him get on base a little more. I don't know if O'Neill Cruz can steal 30 bases because he's 6'7" asking that man to dive <laughs> to steal bases is a lot right? I mean, right if you've ever watched the nba watching those guys fall is uncomfortable mm -hmm. right like, it's a lot of like that's a tall person to tell to get down um so i don't know if he can steal 30 bases not that he doesn't have the raw speed i just wonder if they're not going to put his body through that but right. 30 home runs absolutely right like yeah. a 30 20 guy i see it i think the batting average can be a lot better than people think i think the strikeouts are going to stay down I don't think he's a 30 strikeout, 30% strikeout rate threat. I think he's like a 20 to 25% guy uh, because I think that decision-making is going to stick because uh, I'm on board. I, I I saw the changes. I saw them stick a little bit from year to year. Again, it's been a long time. I think O'Neill Cruz is a guy who you know, some folks are are in and some are saying, you know, like projections don't like him as much, but that's the thing is that I'm looking at upside. I think O'Neill Cruz really has it. I love him in 12 team leagues, especially. Uh, because I think you can get another shortstop if you need one, or you might already have one. Mm -hmm. And this guy could end up being a, you know, top, top six, top seven, um, shortstop in 2024. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's and, not high. Yep. And, uh, you mentioned 30 home runs, 20 RBI. That basically is his 162 game average, uh, 31 homers, 21, uh, stolen bases. So, yeah. Um, we could skip over a Young Kim because he's multi-position eligible. And I feel like we've spoken about him uh, when we did our second base preview, but uh, Xander Bogarts uh, eligible at shortstop has always been a shortstop, but the Padres are going to be using him as a second baseman, but I feel we just need to talk about him. Uh, 49, 150 min max pick uh, had a good season considering he played hurt for most much of it uh experienced some uh, left wrist soreness beginning in march lingered all season got a cortisone injection in march another one in july uh ended up 19 home runs 19 stolen bases 285 batting average and a 790 ops um so uh you know what are your thoughts about uh bogarts this season yeah so xander bogarts it's you know it's been Obviously, 2019 is that big outlier year. He hits 33 home runs uh, for no particular reason besides rabbit ball. I think Xander Bogarts, um, I like seeing him run more. I think he's going to continue to do that. Xander likely hits first or second most of the year, depending on how much they want to use Tatis in that leadoff spot. It seems like that's where they want Tatis. But, you know, whenever they don't want him there, I wouldn't be surprised if they either shifted Kim or Bogarts there. But Bogarts pretty much always is going to hit second. Um, uh, and that helps him for counting stats. I think the the RBI might be a little on the low side, but the floor is just, I mean, this is just a high floor guy. I liked seeing the 19 stolen bases career high for Xander Bogertz, uh, likely due to the new rules and his new team is going to need him to do that. The Padres aren't winning games just by hitting anymore. They've lost some big parts of that lineup. So mm -hmm. I think he's going to run. He's incredibly durable. Uh, Xander Bogertz is just going to play 
you know, just about every game, let's call it like 18 to 20 home runs and 10 stolen bases. Uh, mm-hmm. As a safe projection, I think the uh, there's more upside than that on the steals. I think he mm-hmm. could get to like 15. Uh, 20 again would surprise me. 19 was a lot mm-hmm. for him. Um, but I mean, that's more than he stole back when he was like in his early 20s, right? And now right. it's 31. So, you know, with Bogarts, just a high floor. You know, I, I was just comparing him earlier today with someone else to Cattell Marte in that this is the type of middle infielder you're looking at uh, in comparison to Marte. Bogarts has a little less power, a little more speed, and a yep. safer batting average for it. Yeah. Right. But that's that's roughly the range. Like I think Bogarts goes in about the right range of the draft, like around pick 100, uh, at least in the ones over the last two weeks. So, yeah, he's he's a good value if you kind of didn't grab that elite shortstop you were looking for, and you don't care about a lot of these steals guys that get pushed up, like Abrams and Horner and Kim. Um, Bogertz is still there in the draft after all those guys yes. on average. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think he's a great. He's a great target in even shallower leagues as like a very dependable uh, back end shortstop. Yep. Yep. Um, I agree with your, you know, what you said in terms of projections. I, I see him 280, 20 homers, 15 stolen bases. Um, you know, may, maybe I'm a little higher than you on that, but, uh, you know, because I, I think he's going to be batting second or third. So I think he's going to have some opportunities to run. Um, how about Dansby Swanson? Um, first season with the Cubs last year after a, uh, tremendous 2022 season with the Braves where he hit 25 home runs, 90, uh, had 96 RBI and 18 stolen bases really came down uh, where he only had nine stolen bases. And that's in a season we keep on saying it, but where stolen bases, uh, were elevated, uh, his average dropped uh, a little over 30 points to 244, um, it seems that the projection models, and I guess, like you said, I mean, they kind of average it out, but they seem to think that he's going to have a little bit of a bounce back in the batting average, but mid-20 home run range. But uh, what are we thinking about uh, Dansby Swanson this season? Yeah, remember when I said Xander Bogertz is a good target because he's mm. later than those guys? I actually mm. ranked Dansby Swanson one spot ahead of Xander Bogertz. Really? And by ADP, yeah. you can wait another like 30 picks, mm. right? So I, I like... Yeah, I've been down on Dansby Swanson before in the past, and a lot of that was just because I think people were looking for more. Uh, but I think we know what Dansby Swanson is. We, we know that the batting average is erratic, right? It, it's really, I mean, his BABIP from 2020 to 2023, 350, 297, 348, 297, right? And what do we see with his batting average? 274, 248, 277, 244, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, it's really bad at driven because, uh, you know, he does have a decent barrel rate. He hits the ball like kind of hard, um, Atlanta, he was also pulling the ball just a little bit more that can kind of hurt your BABIP, I guess. Um, but you know, with Dansby Swanson, uh, you know, I liked the extra walks. I like the 22 to 25 home run power. I like the, you know, probably close to double digit second or double digit stolen bases. I think there's still plenty of counting stats there. The, the Cubs getting Cody Ballinger back, I think is big. It really strengthens the middle of that lineup. Um, so that it's just one, having one more bat for Chicago, the Cubs was a big deal because they, without Cody Bellinger, that lineup was looking real spotty, even mm-hmm. at the top, right? Horner, Swanson, Hap, 
And then Suzuki, if he can put it together, and Morel, if he could put it together. So adding Bellinger gives them that uh, one, a a left hander they're actually going to play every day, and two, uh, just a, a guy with some pop to him. So it makes a big deal. Xander, you know, Xander Bogarts and Dan, Dansby Swanson are both these like sort of boring shortstops that are going to be an excellent pick for somebody later in the draft, right. especially if you didn't grab that super high upside guy. Mm-hmm. Where do you have uh, Volpe right? Uh, Anthony Volpe, Yankee shortstop, 21 home runs, 24 stolen bases in his rookie season, played in 159 games. Yankees really uh, just, you know, let him kind of find himself in a kind of a lost season for the team. But uh, overall batting average, 209, pretty good power metrics, slightly above average barrel and hard hit rate. Um, Says he's going to flatten out his swing this season. So maybe, I don't know, do we see fewer home runs, uh, maybe a little bit of a, a higher batting average, maybe. I mean, uh, good speed. I mean, I'm watching the Yankees every day. Every time he's on base, he gets the green light, runs. Uh, good good uh, percentile sprint speed of 78. Uh, but breaking stuff just killed him, 147 against uh, breaking balls. Yeah, it turns out hitting breaking balls is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for everyone. So by ADP, Volpe is the 79th player off the board over drafts in the last two weeks. I rank him just outside the top 100 overall. Uh, <clears throat> the reason for that mostly being that there's this, there's this concern that Volpe gets buried back into like the ninth slot in the order again, that kills his plate appearances. It kills his ability to rack up um, RBI quite a bit. Uh, it shouldn't hurt his run scores too bad because of how strong the top of the Yankee lineup can be. But, it, and when the turns over, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but but the the home run, the home runs and steals are there. It's everything else that needs to come together uh, for Volpe. The strikeouts need to um, kind of be better. You know, I, I think the Yankees in a dream world find a way to get Volpe to be their leadoff guy, right? Mm-hmm. Not DJ Lemayhew, not, nothing like that. Well, that's, Volpe but that's what they're saying right now is Lemayhew is going to be the leadoff guy. But I think you're right that down the road that they're hoping that Volpe yeah, they, and they're saying that because Volpe can't role. be that. Right. Right. Like Volpe's not ready. You can't have a guy with a 28% K rate as your leadoff guy. Right. You You, you can't have a guy who hits like 220 at leadoff and doesn't, you know, doesn't walk that much. Right. Right. But in that perfect world, Volpe is the top of that lineup and those stolen bases can jump up to like 30. There's this path to being a top 50 hitter, but it requires us to see that growth at the dish. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't need him to be stronger. I don't need him to be faster. I need him to make some better decisions. I need him to put I need him to put more balls in play or at least make the balls he puts in play better. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of upside here. I like him as like a sort of a flyer, but it's not even a late round flyer, right? Because he goes at pick like one, you know, 130, yeah. 131. So uh in my rank of just shortstop, he's 18th. So that would be behind guys like Willie Adamas, Hasyong Kim, and Tyro Estrada. But it's ahead of another young guy like Ezekiel Tovar. Mm-hmm. It's ahead of um, where I've ranked Jackson Holiday. It's ahead of where I've ranked uh, Carlos Correa. So he's sort of in this in between spot where it's upside, but also you know high upside, low floor kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just uh, you know, I was looking at uh, Volpe's numbers. Um, and you know, he, the strikeout started to be an issue when he got, uh, elevated in the, in the minor leagues where he only played 22 games in triple a, but that's when he first started 
to have these high strikeout rates, had a 30.3% K rate. And like I said, last season, it was just under 28%. So, um, you know, as much as I'd love to be a homer, um, <laughs> he has had issues as he's uh, went up against, you know, stronger pitching. So, um, yeah. And in the minors, he was able to get the ball in the air a lot more consistently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, part of that is, I mean, you see that sort of in his issues against uh, breaking balls. Those are balls that often when they are, you know, when they're hit, they can turn into ground balls real fast because they're diving away uh, and diving down. So that's the, I mean, I think adjusting against breaking balls in and of itself gets him some better batted ball quality. Uh, but I mean, just in general, right? Like he needs a fly ball rate above 40%. He probably needs that, you know, ground ball rate to be a little bit lower, right? Like the line drive rate is just going to be what it is, but, but don't we think that's he's his, ball, yeah. he's got to get it up. But don't we think that when he says he's going to flatten out his swing, that his fly ball rate's going to go down? Eh, not necessarily Mm. right. Like you can get the ball in the air just by making better, smarter contact. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And, and staying away from stuff that's diving below the zone. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, flattening out a swing could make him a little better against stuff that's up in the zone. Right. Like there's plenty of home runs that aren't hit with an uppercut. Of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that's about timing, um, and just getting the barrel to bat, whether you're swinging it, you know, he says flatter, but he doesn't necessarily mean flat, right? Mm-hmm. He's not, you know, he's not Zach Geloff. Mm-hmm. He's he's not trying to do that. He's trying I mean, he's trying to make it flatter because it is a bit uppercutty right now. And I think just flattening that out a little bit can make his contact a little bit more consistent. That's likely what he's looking at. Right. All right. So we're getting towards the end of this episode. Lots more short stops really to talk about. I feel like we've spoken about Trevor's story. We, we, don't, we know what his deal is. Um, you know, he's going to we actually got some news regarding the Bosox infield where Vaughn Grissom's going to be doubtful for opening day, but story's going to be the, uh, obviously the shortstop and, um, you know, you know, probably a 2020 guy with the, uh, batting average probably in the two forties. Right. Then will he hit, plays anywhere close to 130 games? That's the issue. Right. right? Yeah. And I mean, there's some on-field risk too, where he's had some strikeout problems, a lot of inconsistency. So he's got both durability and, uh, consistency problems. Even when he's on the field, that makes me pretty low on him. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, I, I get why people are chasing upside. If you're going to use him as more of a backup middle infielder kind of guy. Yeah. I think the guy we didn't talk about that's still in my top 15, that's Willie Adamas. Yeah. Uh, I, I like I like Adamas. He had a weird season last year where the the hard hit rate just plummeted uh almost by like 10%. So, you know, I'm not sure what was quite happening there, but this is a guy who can hit 30 home runs. Yes. Right? Um he and like the the overall numbers weren't I mean, they weren't good, but they weren't as bad as I thought they could have been with how bad Willie Adamas looked at the start of the year. We know that he dealt with some like, I mean, some weird little injuries like that. He uh, he missed a couple of weeks due to a concussion. And after what happened to Anthony Rizzo, I look at concussions differently now because you never know uh, how long those symptoms might last and, and not be detected. Right. So yeah, that, that could absolutely. Yeah. I mean, getting your brain rattled rattled is, is not great. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, Adamus looks like he's going to hit, you know, fifth in this lineup uh, and against lefties. I think he could hit as high as like, you know, I think he could move up even like third or fourth. So there's, 
there's definitely some upside here. It's just a matter of, you know, the floor could get ugly. So in a 12 team league, I like Adamus is like, I, I forgot to get a shortstop. I'm getting the last one. Uh, so let me grab Adamus and let's see how it goes in April. And if I need to, I'll cut him and replace him. Hmm. Right with some breakout or something like that, but I, I like him a lot in those formats. And actually, I drafted him in NFBC because I wanted some power late at shortstop, and there's not a lot of that out there. Yep. Um, let's talk just a few others, and then we're done. Carlos Correa, uh, any chance for a bounce back for him? Dealt with uh, plantar fasciitis all season long. I think he's kind of tweaked his uh, his swing. I believe I thought I saw. Uh, basically, at this stage, looks like he's more, you know. Uh, Eh, lower 20 home run kind of power and a, a decent batting average, but the stolen bases, not that he was ever really a big stolen base guy, but first couple of seasons he had 14 to 13, but uh, a bit of a bounce back you're hoping from him uh, if he's healthy. You know, what's weird is healthy for Correa means something different than we usually talk about. When we talk <laughs> about story or Seager, we talk about health as in like being on the field. Mm -hmm. Correa has appeared in over 80% of his team's games for four straight seasons. Mm -hmm. He's been on the field. He just hasn't been healthy on the field. Right. He's, he plays hurt. Right. right. You remember mm -hmm. that big contract with the Mets yes. didn't go through. Like he's got health problems in terms of like management. That makes it harder to know if he's ever really going to be healthy. Right. Right. Um, but he is going to play. Mm -hmm. he, we know he's going to play. Um, I think he could be like a 20, you know, if he goes back to being like that 22 to 25 home run 280 guy, like that's amazing. That, that value is still out there on the board somehow. Mm -hmm. I think that's not very likely. And he becomes more of like a, he's probably more relevant in those deep leagues where you need guys who are playing because right. he's got a full-time role. I'm not looking at him in 12 team leagues right now because even his ceiling isn't that high. I'll give you four young guys. Tell me who you like the best, and then we'll say goodbye to everyone. Ezekiel Tovar, probably a 15-15 guy with a decent batting average for the Rockies, uh, but he's got the typical warts of Rockies player, home away splits, and he's got uh, trouble hitting the breaking ball. Uh, Jeremy Pena has a new swing. Um, you know, a guy probably could do another 15-15 and, and hopefully maybe hit 260 for you. Um, Zach Nito. I kind of like Zach Nito. Uh, played with some injuries last year, oblique, uh, back issue. But if you look at the uh, projection models, some of them have him hitting, you know, like 20 home runs and stealing 10 bases. And uh, Mason Wynn for the Cardinals. Uh, of those guys, uh, any of them you, you target? So I, I rank Ezekiel Tovar 19th. Um, and then Pena 20th. However, they're in different tiers for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll take Tovar over Pena uh, pretty much every time because there's a bit more upside there. Uh, the batting average should be quite a bit higher. Uh, Pena, I mean, I'm sort of interested in this new swing. What I'd like to see him do is hit 20 home runs again. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be a big deal. So, you know, I'm not sure that he can ever be in quite as good of a position as he was in, you know, a few years ago uh, where, you know, he kind of looked like he might be the leadoff guy for the Astros. Um, I'm not sure that he can really go back to being that he's like the eighth guy in their lineup now. So that takes a lot of the ceiling off. So yeah, he, again, Pena, more of a guy I'm looking at in deep leagues because he's going to play the glove keeps him on the field every single day. Uh, you know, then you got to go quite a bit down to my rankings. 27th at shortstop overall. I've got Zach Nito. Um, he's, I mean, I'd love to see him as the leadoff guy and then hitting like 20 home runs, 10 steals, decent, uh, you know, decent batting average. 
we did see his contact ability take a big drop throughout the season. Mm -hmm. um, it was about 600 swings. That rolling 200 swings goes from 90th percentile at the start of the year to below the 25th percentile at the end of the year and really just kind of comes straight down. It makes me worried that maybe pitchers found a hole uh, in that swing somewhere that was making it harder for Nito to make contact or just a weak place in general. So, um, you know, I'm probably, I rank Nito just one spot ahead of his teammate, Luis Rangifo, but I almost wonder if Rangifo is a bit more useful in deeper leagues because of all that positional eligibility. And he um, might be yeah. leading off for part of the season. According yeah. To Ron yeah. So, so that's a big one. Um, you know, those, it, it's hard because in 12 team leagues, you stop caring about shortstops really quick because mm -hmm. of how, how, deep, you know, how many, how many like double digit dollar value guys there are, mm -hmm. right? Like there's, you know, per like ATC's projection in 15 team league, there are uh, 15 guys in double digit value, right? Mm -hmm. So it starts to become really hard to care about like the Javier Baez's of the world, right? Um, I'm not going to talk too much about some of the prospect guys that I think are interesting. I will say our own Matt Heckman uh, is worth looking at. He actually has Jordan Lawler over Jackson holiday. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of interesting. That is interesting. Uh, so something something uh, worth reading about. We've got some prospect podcasts out there too. I tell you to go look at those. Um, they're probably going to do a better job than me than talking about it. Although I think Holiday has maybe the the quicker path to the majors right now. Supposedly uh, going to play second. I know he's uh, shortstop eligible, but the thing is, you're not 100 percent sure that he's going to open the season on the team. That's with Holiday as well. And Lawler might not start the season with the team either. but He probably won't. Yeah, yeah. I think he's dealing with some kind of injury as well. Uh, but nothing long term. But, uh, yeah, maybe some of you, you you're thinking about just keep them on your watch list. Yeah. And, I mean, I know this episode went long, but I think the important thing to talk about shortstop here is it's still dominated by the top, mm -hmm. right? There are not guys outside, like, the top 20 or so at the position that I think have a chance to be in the top 10. Mm -hmm. We we just don't see that at this position, right? The talent is still very concentrated at the top. And you can you should spend most of your time looking at the top to see which of these guys you want to target and when, mm -hmm. right? Because what you don't want to do, like, so again, I talked about how in the NFBC, I still don't have a second baseman. That's something I'm fine with, right? If I didn't have a shortstop, I'd be in huge trouble mm -hmm. because there's not a lot of positive value left on the board at shortstop at this stage. So uh, really think about how you, like, you really want one of the guys probably in the top 12 um, in every, it doesn't matter how many, you know, how big your league is. You really want someone in the top 12 because they're just considerably better. Maybe top 15. If you know, if you've got a couple prospects, you're moving up or not prospects, but some other guys you think will really break through, but you really need to figure out who in that range you're targeting. And the rest is really more for like very deep formats. Mm -hmm. um, so that, just about slams the lid on things for this episode. Great stuff. Uh, but we did start with Ronald Acuna news, and I'll end it with uh, something about Ronald Acuna. My buddy Frank Stanfield just uh, tweeted out a, a little while ago now that in the labor draft, 12-team uh, mixed auction, Ronald Acuna went for 49 bucks. Hmm. So... Wow, that's it! Yeah, wow, yeah. Jeez, uh, like I, <laughs> you would be all over that, man. I, I'd, I'd still be going. Yeah. You know, interest. I'd be interested to see if he was the very first player called up. Mm -hmm. Um, Justin and Mason, it's really taking, your buddy Justin Mason got him. By the way, oh, Justin would have paid more. Yeah. I, I think he would have paid more. Mm -hmm. Somebody screwed up. Should have mm -hmm. run him up. 
Yeah, and I think went, people were afraid of. Yeah, I don't know. I, and he he went for forty bucks auction. in the NL only last night to Colton and the Wolfmen. This is in labor, the League of Alternative Baseball Reality. Wait, sorry, what what did he go for in the NL labor? Uh, NL only forty bucks. No, that's what Stanfield uh, tweeted or xed out. Yeah, uh, the fear. Forty that's bucks fear. for Colton and the Wolfmen in NL only labor. I think those are great values. Yeah. I think those are fantastic values. All right. Very good. Uh, this has been a fun episode. I know we ran long, but we talked about a lot of players. And we did start off with the Acuna news, which was fun to talk about. And uh, I guess next time we'll talk third base. And we're drafting, right? We're drafting. Draft, draft, draft. Mock draft if you can. Uh, save your real-life drafts for as close to uh, the start of the baseball season as possible, right? But uh, follow my man, Scott Chu, at If the Chu Fits. Follow me at Joe Galina. And as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>